Canuck Central Monday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. It's been a long weekend. Extra long weekend for me. Yes. I did not have to saunter off of a patio to uh, do an emergency podcast like you and Vic did on Friday. No, no. You were unavailable. I, I was still unavailable. And, uh, I mean, you're playing Hurt today, even. Even still, yes. We can hear Dan's voice is not 100% still dealing with whatever it is that uh, took your voice from us for it's, the better part of a week. Might have to see an ENT. If any of our listeners uh, have got an appointment open tomorrow... <laughs> It's uh, it's coming back slowly, though. Uh, and the emergency pod, if you missed it, really going into the Besser contract and the coaching changes, it's available on your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss any emergency episodes when there is breaking news on weekends and holidays. Also, any of our exclusive interviews, we'll have one coming up. Jeremy Colleton, the new coach of AHL Abbotsford, is going to be joining us in a few moments here. Besser the big news of the weekend, though. Yeah. And sat, the more I thought about it over the weekend and listened and, and read whatever everybody else was saying, so, okay, you got Besser. Mm. Got him at a reasonable number. Makes yeah. sense. It, it was always the best pathway to move forward for both sides. But now, okay, JT Miller is still a priority. They want to keep JT Miller should the number be right. Bo Horvat, they've always been publicly adamant that they want to keep Bo. What's what's the change happening here? What where like I I don't what's not adding up for me because I can't go into another year mm-hmm. where this same core is brought back because I know it's not good enough and there needs to be some level of change with this team. Yeah, well and. We're going to get into this a lot more in depth coming up next segment after we talk to Jeremy Carlton coming up. Um, but I've done some digging this weekend, and Ooh. I'll share everything that I've been able to gather on on Miller, okay, even Horvat a little bit, um, and on the mystery that Elliot Friedman bestowed upon us when he mentioned in the Thirty Two Thoughts article this past week in the primer for the draft that Vancouver. Some people around the league believe are up to something we haven't thought about yet. So that got me thinking and wondering and digging, and I'll have my thoughts on that as well. But I'll I'll, I'll, I'll surmise, summarize it to this for now. Okay. Something's going to happen. Okay. I, I don't know what. <laughs> and this has been the thing ever since these guys took over. They've been wanting to do something. They are going to clear space. They are going to make changes. But we can't yet for sure say what that, what that is going to be. It's uh, it's going to be a fascinating week. The draft on Thursday and Friday, we'll have you covered wall-to-wall on day one, starting at 3 o'clock, and also on day two, we'll be on 9 a.m. on Friday to go through day two of the draft here on Canuck Central. Something is going to happen this week with this team. There's just a lot of options still on the table. They did get a lot of work done over the weekend. Brock Besser, new contract, and a lot of changes to the coaching staff. And in addition, with AHL Abbotsford, it is Jeremy Colleton, and he joins us now. Thanks for this, Jeremy. Congratulations on the new gig. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, so, I, 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 I'm going to be honest, I was a little bit surprised. Um, how did this? How did this opportunity come about? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, obviously, 
I've been uh, having some family time here since yeah. uh, I left Chicago, and and uh, that's been excellent. Uh, obviously, when you I got young kids, and when you're in the coaching life, uh, sometimes they uh, they get the short end. So it's been nice to try to pay that back as much as possible. And uh, I've been doing some some coaching uh, kids hockey and, and uh, taking my little girl to gymnastics and stuff like that. And that's been great, but uh, you know, had some conversations with uh, for the most part, Patrick uh, about, you know, potential opportunities here with, with Vancouver. And um, ultimately I was looking for, I wanted to go somewhere and be part of the long-term plan of, of the success of an organization. I think, you know, the coach of your American league team, it's, it's a pretty, it's a big responsibility. And when you're trying to, um, build something for the long term, you know, that's, that's ex- ex- exciting to have, um, the confidence, you know, from, from that management group that they feel like I can help. And, uh, I feel like I'm still in development myself and, uh, I'm going to have some great support here and hopefully can be part of, uh, something really fun here with Vancouver and Abbotsford. Well, and I think uh, the surprise Dan was alluding to was that, you know, you were just coaching in the NHL and you started looking at what Vancouver's trying to accomplish. It's it's a strong hire in terms of getting somebody that was just in the NHL that did a good job working with young NHL players that did take big steps. And we start looking at, you know, what this organization is trying to accomplish in terms of development with this new regime. You mentioned talking to Patrick Alvin. How do you feel your strengths in the player development can go hand in hand with what they're trying to accomplish here in Vancouver at the Abbotsford level. Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately the environments that the players are in, it, it plays a big part in, in uh, whether they can reach their potential. And I think I, as I see it, I, I kind of have three jobs. Um, it's developing players for the long-term success of the Canucks, you know, as many of them as possible. And, and hopefully at a high, as high a level as possible, they can play hopefully big roles down the road. Um, it's also to prepare call-up guys uh, for Bruce so they can step in and, and be an option for him. Uh, you know, as you, you need your depth throughout the year, you, you end up being four, five, six, seven guys deep. Uh, we got to get those guys ready together. You know, our staff, we're going to do everything we can. Um, and then the third part for me, we want to do it in a winning environment because uh, ultimately that winning's contagious. Those habits that help you win at the highest level uh, there are a lot of the same habits that, that help you win in the American League or, or Pee Wee Hockey. You know, the, the habits that help you win, those are, they're going to transfer. So uh, we 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 have to have a high standard what's expected of those guys because when they get to the NHL, if you don't do it, you know, you're going to have a hard time playing and the, the team's not going to have as much success. So I feel like um, I'm, you know, I, I have some experience now and as a player and also as a coach and, Hopefully, I can uh, make an impact. Can that be a bit of a fine line when you're looking at at the AHL level? You talk about you're trying to win and have the right environment, but also when you're trying to develop young players, sometimes you also have to maybe let them learn some lessons. Like, is there a balance in trying to develop players and winning, or can you do things at the same time really well, or do you have to kind of juggle both a little bit? Well, it, it is a balance, but. I, I feel that they go hand in hand. I don't think they work against each other. Um, certainly you don't want to have your American league team full of older guys, uh, young guys, not playing, not, you know, they, you want to have success. You want to be, 
putting wins together. Hopefully you're going on long playoff runs with young players playing big roles. And, um, you know, the older guys, they're going to have a part to play in that. They can support those guys. Um, you know, if, if they know how to play, that's contagious. And those habits that they've learned through the years of playing, that, that's going to help bring the young guys along quicker. And uh, I just feel that, you know, to, to say that it's not, you know, winning isn't important at the American League level and then all of a sudden you get dropped in the deep end at the NHL level, uh, the standard is, you know, the, the margin of error is incredibly small. we got to prepare them for that at, at the American League level so that it's uh, just no big deal. That's, that's how it is. That's the standard that they expect to play at. How difficult can that be for a young player, like potentially playing in a, in a big role, top line, top power play unit, and then you get called up and you're asked to play a fourth line energy role? I mean, how, how, how can that be uh, difficult for a young player to, to go up to the NHL and make the most of whatever opportunity is there for them? Yeah, it is a challenge for sure. And, and sometimes uh, when the role changes, it is a bit of an adjustment. I think that's partly our job as a staff is making sure that uh, the details of the game, the play without the puck, uh, the, the winning habits, if just because you're you're producing big numbers at the American League level doesn't mean you're off the hook of doing all those other little things that are going to help the team have success because when you get to the NHL, uh, if you're just going to rely on your production ability, it, it typically doesn't add up. Uh, there's very few guys who can only play one side of the puck at the NHL level. And so um, when you're talking about guys who are maybe top players in the American League, they go up to the NHL, they're going to play a bottom six role, at least to start. If their uh, play away from the puck and their habits is not, we haven't forced them to play the right way, then we're not setting them up for success. So um, if you know, ice time is, is something you use to, to help, help them uh, hold themselves accountable, um, we've got to make sure everyone's doing the right things out there. When when you look at this team and this group of players, and you know it's, it's very obvious that Vancouver's still in that process of trying to add more young players uh, to Abbotsford, and you know obviously the team is doing their best with this new regime to do that. But when you look at this team and you see guys like Danila Klimovich, for instance, and and guys like that, what intrigues you about some of the young talent on that team? I know it's not a ton, but what do you, what intrigues you about the guys that are there? Well, I'm excited to get to know them, first of all. And I think, uh, you know, obviously, I think we're going to be younger next year. It, it seems that way, and, and that's fun. It's it's fun to have that raw material to work with because, uh, you know, you take a, a 20, 21, 22-year-old, uh, what he looks like in September or October, the growth they can have in, in by February, March, April, that can really make your team better. Whereas, uh, you know, some older guys, sometimes at 20, 29, we expect them to improve and they should be trying to improve so that they can get to the next level. But maybe the opportunity, uh, there's just not as much room to grow. And so I think when, when you're thinking about your team and, and even, you know, your success short term, you have those young guys. If, if they are developing well, they can really impact your team as the year goes on. So um, I'm, you know, I, I can't tell you I know a ton about all the guys that are going to be in there. I'm excited to get to know them, uh, whether it's development camp or training camp, and, and we'll see who we get, and we'll do everything we can to make them better. Was there a uh, prior relationship with Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin that that helped lead to this opportunity? No, not really. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I know who they are, and they knew know. Uh, who I was just from being in the hockey world. Um, you know, 
Patrick had come through more a few times uh, when I was coaching there. Um, and I, I knew who he was, but, uh, you know, I hadn't talked to him until you know, we, we started discussing uh, potentially jo- joining the Canucks. And, uh, but, you know, that's part of the fun of, of coming into a new organization and meeting new people. Uh, you know, Ryan Johnson, got a chance to talk to him, and I know we're going to have a close relationship here. Uh, meeting the new staff, uh, you know, working with the NHL staff. You know, that's that's fun. You get better uh, by having those conversations, by being in that environment where you know, everyone's pushing to, to make the big club and hopefully an elite team uh, down the road. And uh, it's fun to be part of that. So, you know, obviously we've got some really successful people here now and uh, be I'm just excited to be around them and pick up what I can. You know, you've talked on a couple of occasions of, of you know, helping be a part of building a, a winning organization and, Jim Rutherford has talked about building that culture here. He has talked extensively about really putting a lot of importance into the AHL franchise, which maybe hasn't always been there. Uh, certainly wasn't there necessarily when when the AHL franchise was in Utica prior to moving to Abbotsford last year. What 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 are some of those details that really excites you about this this challenge here with the Abbotsford Canucks? Well, I think that's a big part of why I was interested. Um, you know, not not every American League team runs it the same. Uh, there's there's different ideas as far as you know what the best way is to develop players. And in my view, is uh, you, you got to try to be competitive and and have them playing in big games and having them be accountable for for how they're playing. Um, and and that it matters. And and even just being close, uh, Abbotsford being so close to Vancouver, uh, those guys are going to feel part of it more. And, and feeling like they're close to the Canucks, and uh, there's going to be some media attention too, which I think is important. So uh, you're not that far away uh, when you're in American League to play at the highest level, and I think that's uh, that's a positive and a tool we can use when we're trying to develop our players. So um, you know, obviously, I'm I'm excited to be part of it. Otherwise, it wouldn't come. Jeremy Colleton, Abbotsford Canucks head coach, is our guest, former head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, switching to the big club a little bit, you know, you uh, obviously coached against the Canucks quite a bit when you were with the Blackhawks. What's your what's your takeaway of the Canucks roster with their young talent? What do you make of the group the Canucks have that they're trying to build around? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's some tremendous young players. Uh, you know, they're getting, you know, they're, they've had some experience now in the league and, and uh shown they can be true difference makers at the highest level and, and that's uh, that's a good spot to be in and obviously there's work to do to to reach that point where you're a perennial playoff team and, and being a top 10 team in the league but uh, there's a lot of building blocks there that it's it's exciting to be a part of it and then again uh, you know in Abbotsford I know what my role is is to hopefully supplement that group uh, with with the prospects that are coming through and and get them there get them ready as quickly as possible, but also uh, it's not just being able to survive in the league, it's, it's being able to make a difference. Um, we want to help those guys get to that level, and, and obviously, as I said, the guys who are close and, and they're going to get their games throughout the year, trying to make it as seamless as possible that they can step in, because there are some really nice pieces that uh, you feel you know that, that they can you know put something good together here in the coming years. New Abbotsford head coach Jeremy Colton joining us here on uh, Canucks Central. So, when you take over in in Chicago, you you're the youngest active head coach in the NHL at the time. 
It's a very winning situation, uh, taking over from Joel Quenville there. Um, h- how was that spot, and how much did you learn uh, taking over in that moment? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because when I when I came over, a huge part of why I chose to come to Chicago, like I wasn't really looking to leave Mora. <laughs> to be honest, it was a great situation. We just promoted to the top league and had a lot of responsibility there. But you know, a big part of why I wanted to go to Chicago was to be just be around uh, that environment and watch uh, Joel work and uh, try to you know pick up what I what I could from him. And uh, obviously they'd had a ton of success. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, 14 months later, I'm coaching that group. And, uh, you know, that was a lot. It was a big challenge. And, and uh, you know, obviously in the end, uh, the results weren't what I hoped they would be. Um, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. And, and to be honest, uh, you know, I feel that that experience has prepared me <laughs> in a lot of ways for whatever comes next. I, I don't foresee... Uh, you know, whatever comes up next to be more difficult than that situation for, you know, a lot of different reasons. But uh, I was grateful for the opportunity and, and I feel I gave everything I had to it. Um, but I also think that um, sometimes you just need experience. You have to live through it. And I think I'm far better prepared. If, it, if I were to redo that, if I were to go through it again, I would be much better prepared just by having those games coached and, and having gone through some pretty tough situations. Um, throughout the, the, you know, three, three plus years. Um, and while it was at times miserable, <laughs> because on, honestly, it's, you know, when you're in the NHL, it's, you know, it's winter bust, right? When you're not winning, it's, it's hard. Uh, but going forward, I feel that it's, I've gained a, a tremendous amount of experience. It's going to help me going forward. Well, I mean, you're obviously very young. I mean, you and I, I mean, I'm actually one year older than you. I'm born, born 84, you're born 85. So, I mean, it's not like you've been doing this head coaching gig for a very long time, but you have a lot of experience already at this, uh, you know, at this level. But one of the things I find interesting when I've talked to some people that you've coached is that you communicate with them really well. Is that something you've always had, had a, been a strength of yours communicating with people or was that part of your experience that you got a lot better at it in terms of getting, getting through to your players? Well, I think, you know, ultimately when I got started coaching, I leaned a lot on my playing experience and, you know, on most of the teams I, I was on, um, you know, whether it's minor hockey or junior or, or pro, um, I wore a letter and was part of the leadership group and uh, had a lot of responsibility to help communicate the message, uh, how we're going to win. And so as a coach, I, I've kind of tried to just build on that. Like I, I want, I want the guys to feel that I'm with them. And, and, uh, you know, ultimately if, if your priority is to win hockey games, then we're, then we're on the same page and we're on the same team. And I, it's my job to do everything I can to help you contribute to that. And, uh, you know, I think that if you, if you have that approach, it, it it's a lot easier. I think, think and uh you know certainly at the nhl level um there's some different dynamics that come into it but uh again having gone through it for a few years now and and having some tough conversations it's uh you know it's something i can lean on you're gonna be able to get up here and enjoy a little bit of the vancouver summer well i'm gonna be uh up there for development camps right um you know that's that's exciting and like i said it'd be fun to meet some of the young players and uh you know you know, of course, I've been to Vancouver, and whether it was growing up playing hockey or the Western League or or uh, the NHL here, but uh, great city, and excited to get to Abbotsford too, and just get the lay of the land. And um, you know, it's uh, the, you know, 
a change, newness, it's it's a fun, fun thing. So looking forward to getting going. Hey, Jeremy, really appreciate the time. Uh, congrats on the new gig, and we'll uh, see you up here at development camp. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, there is Jeremy Colleton, the new head coach for AHL Abbotsford. And one of the really interesting hires of the weekend sat. Uh, Trent Call gets promoted to yeah. assistant coach with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Thomas Drance reported that uh, he'll take over defense and penalty killing duties on the bench. Mike Yo, who was on the morning show with Halford and Bruff, is uh, going to be on the bench as well with Bruce Boudreaux. And Jeremy Colleton, the new AHL head coach with Abbotsford. They've talked so much about really improving Abbotsford and really mm-hmm. making it a big part of the program here. And I think we all understand it has to be better in terms of which, which players get developed, how many players get developed. And it's clear that Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford are making, or at least seem like they've got a process in place yeah. to make good on that goal of theirs. Well, yeah, and... You look, you ask around about Jeremy Colleton and his strengths, and it is relating to people and finding a way to you know get through to them and developing young guys, and that's part of what you're trying to accomplish at the AHL level. And having a bit of a uniform philosophy, I think, is important for them too. So you're starting to see them really put that into place. On the Mike Yo front, um, I think he's going to have a pretty sizable role here. You know, like you mentioned, the duties that he's going to have, I think he's going to have a pretty big influence yeah. uh, with the coaching staff. Um, obviously, it's Bruce Boudreaux's show, but I think a lot of the detail work might be run by Mike Yo. So I don't think he's just an assistant. I think he's very much, you know, an associate type of head coach. Like he, he's there to do quite a bit. Yeah. So I think it's it's an interesting spot for Mike Yo. Um, the way and- I read that, uh, we don't talk about Bruce Boudreaux as much of an X's and O's guy, right. and we th- mm-hmm. I think about the structure comment is Mike Yo in to try and fill some of those gaps. Yeah, and that's what I think, you know, for, for Mike Yo, my understanding is he is going to have a sizable role. What that means, big picture, I don't know. Obviously, Bruce Boudreaux is the head coach, and, you know, his future really depends on how next year goes in many ways, right? But I do think Mike Yo is somebody they, they are very, very high on organizationally. Now, on the trend call front, I see people uh, texting in here, like Gurpreet, you know, is, is management trying to groom him to be the next, to be a head coach down the road for a trend call? I'm not trying to uh, downplay um, trend calls, abilities or anything like that. But what I see this as is they saw an opportunity to upgrade the head coach. They don't want to just get rid of trend call. They have another year on under contract with him. Yeah. They promote him to be part of the staff. There's a spot there for him to do. I'm not saying they only they only did it because they didn't want to, you know, want to keep the salary. All I'm saying is I don't see this being them being super high on trend call and they want to groom him to be the next head coach or there's you know, they love this guy big picture wise. I think they like trend call. I don't think they're lying. I think Ryan Johnson has always spoken highly of trend call. I think he's a big booster of him in the organization. But I'm not sure that he's that he has ensured a role with the organization beyond next season. Trent Call um has earned some criticism that he's taken, but at the same time, we have to be realistic about the level of player he was given yeah. uh, in the AHL over the last number of years and understand that is a part of why they haven't had enough success 
developing players from the AHL to the NHL level. It's true. I have heard people outside of Vancouver, not Vancouver executives, be critical of the work done with Abbotsford, despite the fact that I haven't had a ton of... So it it depends. Listen, I haven't been there close enough. We haven't been there close enough to sit there and talk about it. One thing we do know is the Canucks haven't been able to develop too many players out of... uh, Well, Abbotsford's only been there a year, but going back to Utica before that, part of it, to your point, not a lot of options. The other part of it, the ones that were there, weren't able to get through. What happened? What was going on? And I think there's fair criticism both ways. But on the trend call front, uh, I-, I wouldn't get ahead of myself and think the organization you know, is considering him for head coaching spot in a year or so. A lot going on with the Vancouver Canucks. And a lot of what we just spoke about has nothing to do with the team on the ice. Sat teased it a little bit earlier. Frank Saravalli is going to join us in hour two, so we'll really get an insider's look there. But Sad has some nuggets as well. What's happening with JT Miller? What is the thing we may not have thought about yet that Elliot Friedman alluded to yet earlier this weekend? We'll get to all of that next. It's Canuck Central. Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto Entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca. What do the Canucks do this week? It's draft week. We know and have talked about change being a big part of this offseason, Sat. A, nece- a necessary part of this offseason. Patrick Alvin gets to do his first big maneuvers as a general manager in the NHL. What does this week look like for the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, it's it's going to be hopefully a busy week. Uh, we know they're going to make a draft pick, at least one. Yes. At least one. At least one. <laughs> hopefully uh, a few more. Yes. Um, well, well, what they, they have seven picks in this year's draft? Yeah. They have uh, yeah they have no six picks in this year. Six. They don't have the second round pick. They don't have the second round. They're on the second round pick. So uh, they have they they have a fair share of picks, and they're not going to be trading away any of those picks. At least I, I'm not expecting that to happen. So let's start let let's start with um, J T. Miller because that's yeah. always a big one. So what I mentioned last week about J T. stands true today, as far as I know. Vancouver legitimately wants to see if they can find a way to f- keep him. And why wouldn't they? Yeah, and that's been a thing. Um, I'm expecting there to be discussions between the Canucks and the agent if there already haven't hasn't been today, if not today, tomorrow. I don't know if that's going to give them the clarity they're out for, but I think there's going to be an effort to either A, see if you can get close to something and then make it happen once July 13 rolls around, or if you really realize you're far apart and you consider your, your options. And I really think that's something they want to do here. Um, well, you, you kind of have to do that before yeah. the draft. And you do, absolutely. Now, it's funny because on the weekend, I, I got one call from somebody who I was trying to talk to who said nothing's changed on the JT Miller front. And then yesterday, I had another discussion with somebody who said uh, there's more optimism that maybe something can be done with Vancouver. But my understanding is there hasn't really been substantive contract talks over the weekend. They're really trying to do that now. So I think it's going to be really interesting on JT the next couple of days. Yeah. That's where the team's going to get an idea. But... As far as I know, the team wants to keep him. It's not just like this half-assed effort and let's go on trade him. Like there's there's a legitimate attempt to see if you can do something here. So the thing about this, and I, I alluded to this off the top of the show, 
But you signed Brock Besser. You have some cost certainty there now. Six six five over the next three years. Great. It was the best path for everybody involved. We all know it, and it happened. Great. You got it done. Let's see Brock Besser have some successes here and really make good on that contract. JT, we know his status has been up in the air, but they want to keep him. Mm-hmm. Bo Horvat, they've always said, we see Bo here for a long time. Even his contract situation doesn't seem to matter, even though it's legitimately the same thing yeah. as JT Miller. So I keep thinking, what is the big move that they're going to make? Uh, so and they can't keep all three set. They well, can't, like it. I mean, they can. Well, no, I mean, and, and here, I, I would say this. Uh, I know Elliot mentioned surprise and all that sort of stuff. Maybe the surprise is you bring them all back. You're running it all back. <laughs> and I don't know if that's actually going to be it, but but I do think there is a world where they're keeping Bo, Besser, and JT, but something else would give, right? Something else would have to give. Now, I don't think Bo is getting traded. Like, I'm not expecting it to happen. Uh, my understanding is people have called on Bo. It hasn't gotten anywhere, obviously, but people are calling, trying to yeah. wonder what's going on, right? So, but I don't expect him to get traded. I don't think Vancouver's seriously trying to move him as, as we speak. But my yeah. point is people are intrigued because they see Vancouver's players, and there are people that want Bo. There are people that want JT. There are people that want you know Besser, but they don't want to pay a big price. There are even teams that want Garland. Is yeah. he going to be the guy out then, potentially? Because be. this leads me to the other thing. You know, I think... The surprise Elliot was alluding to more than anything is Vancouver is going to be a player in trying to make their team better. Not oh. just we're not just here trying to like okay trade all these guys accumulate assets and I'm not saying they're going to do anything reckless but if they're able to clear some cap space I think there's some players they're targeting. Right. I think there are some guys they're looking at and saying if we can clear a space this is a guy we want to go after. We've heard Cadre's name be thrown out. I don't see that being realistic because the money is going to be so big for him. But who are some cadre type players? Who Andrew Cop? Yeah. So we're talking like sandpapery guys. Yeah. So and- guys with some skill and some grit. Yeah. Andrew Cop would fit that bill. Andre Palat, who Tampa's trying to f- keep, would Great fit that bill. Great two way forward. Great two way forward. We've heard Josh Anderson's name be thrown out there. Now that's trade, big contract. That's more complicated. Yeah. But I, I'd think if Vancouver can clear cap space, that type of prototype is something that I think they would try to explore to add. I keep coming back to the name Evan Rodriguez. Like, he's going to be somewhat expensive. Does he fit that mold? But a, not as much sandpaper, but he is a great two way forward. Yeah. Uh, or at least showed to be that this year. I feel like one of their moves, and it was a combo move that happened in season, kind of alludes to this mentality you're, you're, you're bringing up here. They trade away Travis Hamannick, Yeah, miraculously get a third-round pick yeah. from the Ottawa Senators to take that contract. Instead of keeping that third-round pick, they immediately flip it and go get a guy that they, they think has some potential and is a potential fit here yeah. in Vancouver with Travis Dermott. They didn't just hold on to the pick, which would have been a completely reasonable thing to do in that mm-hmm. moment. They said, no, we, we think that guy can make us better, so we're yeah. going to go and get him. And I think that's part of what they're looking to do here, if they can. You know, whether it's using assets you get, which frees up other assets potentially, which is, they didn't trade the third round pick they got, they traded another pick. But the point being, you get something back in return, it frees something else up potentially. They're not going to be sitting here trying to accumulate draft picks and cap space and hold on to it like it's treasure for the next three to four years. Like, I don't get that sense. That's not to say they're going to do anything reckless. I don't think they're after, you know, old players and going to sign players to these bad contracts or anything like that. But 
I think there's a real desire to be aggressive and get creative. And if you are able to get some assets and some cap space, it allows you to do some other things. I think if they can, if they can reshape the roster and somehow get better for next season and still have some long-term flexibility, this is a hard thing to do. Like, let me walk you through all this in a like. You're Dad, trying, this is a lot that you're talking. You're about trying here. to get better. Yeah. You're trying to get some long-term assets. Yes. You know you got to change your roster up. You know you got to open up cap space to do any of these things. But if they can do everything, I think that's what they're trying to do. I don't think they're just settling for it. Hey, let's just clear cap space and figure out what we do tomorrow. Like this is a, I think, ambitious front office that has a real plan. Yeah. And, and, and really is trying to, if they can do something to make the team better, that's what they want to do. So if you were keeping JT Miller, Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, all going to cost you a pretty penny to keep all of them on the roster and maintain that core group of forwards, where are you opening up cap space? The three next biggest names and essentially the next biggest salaries outside of the three untouchables. Oliver Ekman Larson, who's essentially untouchable. After that, it's Tyler Myers at six million, Connor Garland, and Tanner Pearson. Mm-hmm. Those would be the three guys that you have to try and move in right. order to open up cap space if you're keeping everybody else. But what are you getting for those guys? Maybe you get something tangible for Connor Garland. Mm-hmm. Are you able to get anything for Myers and Pearson? Maybe a little bit. You're probably not getting rid of the entire salary. And those guys played pretty big roles for you last year and played pretty well in those roles, despite what some people think. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the issue is they want to clear They want to fix the defense. And I see people messaging. It's like, obviously, they're trying to get better. I'm not. They want to get better long term. I'm trying, I'm trying to say, like, if they can make the team better for next season, they want to do that, too. It's not just about, hey, we want to be good in three to four years type of deal. Next year may not be the one-year reset. No. That some have thought it to be. No. Is what you're saying. No, and Nece- it may not be. Not necessarily. I think their goal, if they can, is to clear some space, but then use that to make the team better and get the types of players they think this team is lacking. And what's been talked about a lot, sandpaper lacking for this team. Jim Rutherford has specifically said they want more sandpaper type players. Those players tend to get too much money in free agency. Kadri, yeah, we're hearing the number is more than eight. That seems like a lot. And again, that <laughs> doesn't help your JT Miller negotiations. If he's here and Kadri's getting more than eight, JT Miller has every right to be sitting there and saying, well, I definitely deserve more than eight million a year as well. Andrew Kopp? That's going to be five plus million bucks for Andrew Cobb. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be easy. That's why I'm saying, like, if if they actually do that, I think it shows what they're trying to accomplish versus what the ideas of what people thought they would do and take this, you know, big step back. Because I mean, I think they're looking at it too and saying, you have Demko for four more years, right? There is a bit of a window here. Like, how many of these years are you going to waste? Are you going to wait two to three more years before you get good? Like, what are you looking to do here? And when you see, you know, some of these players they have, especially if you are able to keep JT, if they can, that might still be a hard thing to do. I know Elliot keeps saying it's going to be very hard for the Canucks to be able to sign JT. So we'll see if that ultimately happens. But if you're keeping guys like JT, you're trying to, you're not trying to take this, you know, significant step back. 
uh, Dusty and LC, the Dermot thing was for optics as they were in the hunt would have been bad optics. No. How I don't think they why would why would you care about optics? Yeah. I <laughs> you traded Hamanick, who was in and out of the lineup all the time, couldn't rely on anyways. I think Canucks fans were happy to see him go. Yeah. With everything going. I think the organization was happy <laughs> to to rid itself of everything they've been dealing with with Travis Hamanick. Um Dermot was was legitimately a player they had an eye on and they wanted to add and they think can potentially be more than a third pair guy long term. I don't think it had anything to do with do with optics. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's. Where does Troy Stetcher fit into all this? Maybe alluding to uh, the uh, nugget that Earth gave last Thursday. Yeah, and and for Stetcher, it's you know we're talking about cheap, right? Like I think if Stetcher comes in under a million bucks, talking about under a million type of deal. I mean, I, I look at it and I still say you have a lot of those guys already, depth yeah. guys on the right side. Not to mention Brady Keeper, who might have something to say about a depth spot next season. Yeah, you can never have enough depth. And if you you get them through waivers, whatever, you have them down Abbotsford too. But it's not going to move the needle, really. Uh, Our live listeners texting in at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can listen live on the Sportsnet app. 96.9 HD3 radio in your car, on your smart speaker as well. So many different ways uh, to listen live as well as on podcast. Um, One of the texts that comes in, Unsigned. Actually, it's jazzy. None of the free agents move the meter outside of Philip Forsberg. The murky middle of free agency is one of the scarier spots, Mm -hmm. Sat, because that's where players tend to get overpaid. You know, I can live with a team going out, swinging for the fences on a Johnny Gaudreau or a Philip Forsberg or even a Chris Letang, because those are legitimate star players in this league that can put your team over the top. But it's when you kind of go too far and sign a $4 million player for $6 million bucks, That's those are the ones that tend to hurt you the most, yeah. right? Or you're signing a 31, 32-year-old to a seven-year deal that they're never going to be able to live up to. Yeah, Those tend to be the ones... That hurts you the most. And the question is, do you get priced out of anything? Because I don't see this management team being all in on those guys. Because I see, you know, you know, Jazzy also mentioning this gives me Benning vibes and all this sort of stuff. I don't see these guys going in there and, and that, trying to outbid teams for these players. Yeah. For guys like that, potentially. And you're right. Those types of gritty players usually get priced out. And that's why maybe through the trade avenue, it might be something more realistic in that front. Mm-hmm. Josh Anderson, you know, whether that is or, you know, depending on what you want back in return for him. I know Montreal's set a high price for him, but really he's been injured a lot. He still has 30 million left on his contract for the next five years at a five and a half million dollar cap hit. They don't really have any assets to make trades, though, unless it's a a hockey trade, a swap trade that we talked about. Again, yeah, unless we're saying unless they do what what we talked about before, if you're making some other trades off your roster that give you a little bit of flexibility in cap space, maybe that allows you to do something else. So the other player I think of is Valeri Nichushkin. It's got uh, the two-way ability. It's got some sandpaper. Well, not a ton of sandpaper, but has the two-way forward mold that's similar to Andre Pilat. He's also an unrestricted free agent that may end up getting paid way too much because of how well he played in the playoffs. Yeah. Nichushkin's a big-time yeah. big contract. He's a big contract. I mean, all these guys, you know, Pilat's 31. 
Yeah. And so you're not talking about long term. And, and I think Tampa's going to try to keep him anyway. So he may not even get to market. Yep. You know, I mean, the number in that five range, I think, is going to be too much. That would be my guess. Unless you're able to make a trade somehow and you're shifting something out, else out the other way. There's so much that this team can do. The, the funny thing about what Elliot said might do something we haven't thought of. Is that literally there? There's so little we haven't thought of yet. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's the free agent aspect of things. How much have we talked about Vancouver being, you know, a big free agent player or being aggressive and trying to add, you know, a, a significant piece? Is it an offer sheet? Even that we've kind of thought we've about thought because about Jeff Merrick yeah. mentioned it on Thirty Two Thoughts Hockey Night in Canada edition so long ago. Yeah, I mean. The biggest surprise off your roster that would shock the fans, even though we talked about it, would be Bo, I think. And be yeah. like, what the hell? Bo got traded? That would be a surprise. Um, as far as anybody else, I mean, Myers is getting talked about a lot. And I see Bill texting and others, too, you know, disputing ty- Myers' value. And we can get into this a bit more later uh, as the show goes on here, too. But I would say Myers' contract is movable. It has been. I mean, it was movable. We talked about this last, even during the season. I mentioned that there is a belief that you can move Myers and not take too much back. Like maybe you have to retain a million, maybe you have to take back a salary worth a million or two, but nothing really tough. Like there is, there, there will be a market for, for Tyler Myers. And I think the events of this weekend probably show that more. If you could open up even four or five million by moving Myers, I think you do it. Um, it's, also about, though, if you're trying to get better, how can you move Myers and then fill his minutes when you're so light on the right side of defense? The Myers move ultimately comes back to that. Organizationally, do they think they have a beat on somebody better? Yeah. If they do, I think they're willing to do that. I think they'd be willing to make a Myers trade. But right now, I, 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 take, I take them at their word. Like They really value Myers, and if they're trading him... They want to have some value in return. Like, I don't think they're just trying to dump a salary. I think they're looking at it and saying, like, hey, we're, if we're trading you Myers, we want something back in return. We don't just want you to take the money. And yeah, maybe we have to retain some, but we want something tangible back in return. Like, he's a guy that whoever trades for is likely going to have him playing 20 minutes a game. I just find it so hard to see how this team gets better right away, Sat. Like, I, I know, look, that ultimately that can be your goal. It's a lofty goal. There's just too many things you have to accomplish is all it at once. Is it though? Like, okay, look at it this way. So let's say you keep Miller. Let's say you keep Besser and you're keeping Horvat. Yeah. You add a Kuzmenko. Yeah. So let's say you, you move Garland and then you add another player. Right. Are you as good as you were last year? Slightly better? Push? Like, well, was are this you... team ever really a 105-point pace team no, that they showed to be under Boudreaux? Listen, that's fine. We can argue you know, the point of it, but I'm just saying, like, is it that much harder to improve the team? You can improve the team. Yeah. The question is, should you improve the team? You can improve it. I don't think it's that hard to make the team better. It doesn't put you into the category of a cup contender. It doesn't put you into you know, being you know, this great team, but I don't think it's that hard. If you extend Besser, I mean, you extend Horvat, and you extend Miller... And then you make one trade, you could talk yourself into being better next year. I can't lock this team into that core for, hey, for a lot more years, Sat. I'm like, not honestly, sure, like, but, hey, I'm just saying there, it's not hard to make the team better. Yeah. 
That's all I'm saying. Like, it's, it's not that huge a task. The question is, are you going to be good enough? And is it worth investing into it? It's hard to see, okay, you make some improvements. Maybe you end up better next year. But Vegas is going to be better next year. LA is going to be better next year. Edmonton's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe Calgary ends up worse. You know, that's a realistic possibility, depending on what happens with Johnny Gaudreau. But I still see this team as one that, if you're being prudent about it, you probably have to take one step back to take two steps forward. There's just, I've seen too much of this core to think that there actually is another level that they can get to together. There's got to be something different in the water. There's got to be a different... They've got to put some different ingredients in here. Put some more seasoning on it. If the color don't change, probably ain't going to taste good. Like, these things, this core hasn't been good enough. The best we saw it was getting to the second round in the bubble. But even then, we know it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors the way that season was ending and when the pause came. So, what are we really buying into if this continues to be the core? And, theoretically... You're buying into a core where Miller and Horvat are likely in the final years of their peak performance. You're essentially putting all your chips into the middle of the table that Pedersen and Hughes get so much better. That's what ends up putting this team over the top. Because I, I don't see how you improve enough on the fringes to make it a different outcome than what it's been. Well, I mean, it's not like you don't have picks this year. It's not like you're getting other long-term futures. There is a way to do it. It's not easy, but nothing's easy to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not like it's is, is there a guarantee you take this big step back? You trade Horvat, you trade Miller, you get a first-round pick, you get two first-round picks, you get a, one good prospect, the other decent, and they turn out to be two Niels Hoaglanders. Yeah. And one guy is a bust. And where are you at? Like, and I'm not, I'm not sitting here and saying don't do anything bold. But well, my point being is there's no guarantee in anything you do that it's going to be the, this huge, fruitful endeavor for you. And they're not going to sign Miller to a contract that's not going to make sense. They're not going to sign Horvat to a contract that's not going to make sense. So if they're coming back with Horvat and Miller and they're doing something else, I think they're doing so within under, like, confines that make sense. You know what I mean? That the contract, the number made sense for JT, so it made sense for us to keep him. The number made sense for Bo, so it made sense for us to keep him. It's kind of like the Besser thing. Right. The number made sense for you to keep him. If it didn't make sense, he would have been traded. Like, it wasn't like we want to keep Besser at all costs. Like, I, I mentioned on the show on Wednesday, on Thursday, and, you know, Josh and Jamie kind of both had their eyebrows go up. I said, there's a 55% chance Besser gets traded. Yeah, I'm like, I think they'll take a run at it on, you know, Friday, Saturday to try to sign a contract. And I think that's going to really be it. And I doubt they don't do it. But I, I don't think Vancouver's bluffing here. Like, I don't think Vancouver, if Vancouver's called and said, hey, let's try to make something happen. And they were like, no, we're holding firm on seven. I think they would have moved them. Like, I, th- I think they, they were pretty strong on that. So if they're signing those guys, I think it's the numbers that make sense that are workable around them. So one thing that comes to mind here is the trade market. There are a lot of players out and available for trade. Yes. Debrinkit, Shifley, Wheeler. Like, go down the list. There's a lot of guys that could potentially get moved this summer. It's not even thinking about JT Miller and, and Bo Horvat. Maybe you're able to fish an interesting player for a price that is more palatable than mm. we think. It should be in trade. That might be an avenue to look at as well. There's a lot that this team can do 
and we'll be all over it here on Canuck Central all week long. Frank Saravalli is going to join us. Uh, one thing to note here, and if you listen to Canuck Central, you would have known this was a possibility a couple of weeks ago when we asked Kevin Woodley if Curtis Sanford would be on the radar for an NHL goalie coach gig. He is obviously a part of the Abbotsford Canucks. Nothing has been official, but Chris Johnston mentioned earlier today that it looks as though Curtis Sanford could be the new Mm -hmm. goalie coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Kevin Woodley alluded to this, that Curtis Sanford has raised his profile enough that teams will be looking at him. And so uh, this has definitely been on the radar and one that highlights the Canucks goalie department and the amount of respect it has around the league for what it's done. The other interesting thing to note, the San Jose Sharks uh, are preparing for a news conference tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time where it is believed they will introduce Mike Greer as their next general manager. And I may be corrected on this, Sat, but I believe Mike Greer will be the first black general manager in the NHL. Yeah, um, that is going to be some massive news if that does come to pass. And when you ask around about you know, candidates that should have got more consideration. Mike Greer's name came up the last couple of years. Yeah. So if he gets it, it certainly would be well-deserved. And it's a really interesting job that he'd be taking over. Another one that seems to be very difficult, like uh, we've been talking about with the Vancouver Canucks here. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, hour number two. Frank Saravalli is going to join us on Canuck Central.